Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. I'm your host, Carl Truman, along with the other hosts, Amy Bird, the housewife theologian, and Todd Pruitt, PCA pastor. Today we want to talk about an issue that, it's not a new issue, this kind of thing has been going on for some time, but there seems to have been rather a lot of it just recently, and that is the apostasy of of high profile, I think the the egregious term is Christian influencer, uh, the apostasy of Christian influencers, um, the most notable perhaps in the in the broader circles within which uh, the three of us operate would be Josh Harris of the sort of young restless and reform movement, and more recently we heard of the the sad departure from the faith of a man called Marty Sampson, who was a, a leading figure in Hillsong, which is the evangelical movement, I think it's particularly strong in the, the Southern Hemisphere in Australia. Raises questions. So, I mean, people, sadly, Christians, professing Christians, lose their faith all the time. We, mm-hmm. we, you don't hear about a lot of people who depart from the faith. We just hear about the, the big names. But I wonder if there are particular pathologies in the culture of big name Christianity that perhaps mean that the apostasies that take place there exhibit certain common patterns mm-hmm. that perhaps we can we can probe. So I'll throw it over to my two wiser co-hosts <laughs> at this point before I, I come back on this. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, I don't think any of us would dare to say, well, this is why Josh Harris apostatized, or this is why uh, this guy from Hillsong, Marty Sampson, apostatized. You know, we can't get into their minds. However, I do think that it's worth asking some questions because we do need to be reflective. You know, Carl, as you mentioned, you know, Josh Harris was out of our broader circles in terms of, you know, conservative evangelicalism that at least leaned into certain reformedish doctrines, et cetera. So in our broader circles and, you know, one of the things that we've talked about for a long time um, here on this program, really since its inception is the, um, the dangers of, of celebrity um, within the Christian church, the dangers of elevating people, period, but certainly elevating young people. And of course, the, 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 the young restless reform movement elevated lots of young guys, many of whom were clearly not ready for that kind of responsibility and, and to have that kind of spotlight cast upon them. Um, for what, you know, whatever reason or reasons Josh Harris left the faith, we can still say that it's not wise to take a 19-year-old, and which I think was when he wrote his book. I think he was 19. He was 21 when it was published or yeah. something like so that. He, I remember hearing him say, you know, he began working on it while mm. he was still 19. But yeah, I think publication, he was 20 or 21. Um, and he immediately became very famous. The, the book was a bestseller. And, and, and that's one thing, you know, good for a 20-year-old to write a book that becomes a bestseller. But the problem is, is that, he was elevated immediately by older men who should have known better that you don't do that. It's, it's, it's dangerous for your soul. 
And so, again, whatever the reasons for Harris's apostasy are, that's a problem. You know, this guy, Marty Sampson, again, a young guy who knows how to play some chords and carry a tune, and he becomes, you know, internationally known with with one of the biggest churches in the world and one of the biggest producers of worship music uh, in the world. That's a, a heavy thing for any soul to carry, much less a young person who was obviously spiritually in no way ready for that kind of exposure and that kind of um, uh, responsibility. Yeah, I've heard it said that talking about the general celebrity world, Mm -hmm. that when somebody becomes a celebrity, they cease to grow up at that point. Mm -hmm. They're sort of frozen in time. And let me just qualify here. You know, there are there are silly people out there who confuse celebrity with being well known. That's never how I use the term. Celebrity refers to a culture and a way of life. Mm That isn't simply being well known. It's right. it has a whole host of life as public performance, right. faux intimacy kind of connotations to right. it. Uh, and I think the point being made is that when somebody becomes a celebrity, at that point they 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 immediately get sheltered from mm-hmm. real life. They get surrounded by yes men, uh, sycophants. They don't have to put up with the the bumps and the knocks mm-hmm. that most normal human beings have to put up with. And I think that's particularly dangerous in a Christian context mm-hmm. when you have you know, somebody at 21 becomes a big shot. Yeah. Really, I mean, at 21, I was a complete idiot. Right. Uh, I mean, I may not be <laughs> right. much better now, yeah. but, but yeah. I, I shudder to think of some of the things I said when I was 21. Right. I shudder to think of some of the things I said when I was 30, 35, and beyond. Uh, I, I think the if you take a Christian out of the ordinary growing up process and also out of the ordinary church discipleship process, it's a recipe for disaster, particularly when you're expecting that person to be a leader in the church. And and where were the, the mature churchmen in Josh Harris's life when he was 20, writing a book with so many authoritative claims Mm -hmm. on marriage (laughs) You know, who could have taken him aside and said, you know what, brother, why don't you spend about 10 years or at least 10 years oh in marriage goodness. before you write a book? I on don't that. feel yeah. like I could write a book on marriage <laughs> right. after 20 years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we don't feel that either. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. Maybe I'm not the right person for the job. But still, I mean, you just I mean, I in the last 10 years, you know, I've been married 22 years. Mm-hmm. Um I've learned and grown so much, but I just can't imagine how much more I need to learn and grow. And I mean, even the stage we're at right now, you you know, you've got people with little tiny kids writing marriage books and, uh, you know, selling them like crazy books with, because, you know, they're a pastor or something, but, um, or a pastor's wife. And I mean, this stage with kids in the high school years and college years is, you know, a whole different ball game. Uh, you know, that, and then I can't imagine, you know, when they're out of the home and, and that's a whole nother right. ball game. So I just, there's so many different major stages mm-hmm. that a marriage goes through. Yep. It connects in part, of course, to the, the, the economics of the evangelical right. world, that the, mm-hmm. the young new thing is very sellable in general. Right. And the evangelical culture has become well, something of a function of that. That sellable right. thing, yeah. you know, when you look at, at like Harris's whole career, um, you know, coming up, he was kind of his dad was a big name in the homeschooling community, mm-hmm. so he was kind of on this track anyway a little bit. Right. And um, then everything is so public, and everything mm-hmm. is so image based as right. well, and and very parachurch. I mean, he's mm-hmm. 
put in all these big conferences mm-hmm. and he's you know speaking all over the place at yeah. a young age and it's interesting because you know when he announces his um, divorce and then in his quote-unquote deconversion yeah. um you know he there's this image of him reflecting over the water Ooh, like, and yeah, the mountains yes and yeah. it's this whole magazine picture uh-huh. and it's you know it's that, like carl keeps saying life is performance right. um he must tell the world and he must look a certain way when even in his video the documentary uh that we talked about a while ago the i survived i kissed mm-hmm. dating goodbye it was very imagey right you know the whole video so building this image and then now as a non-christian here's his twitter handle of what he does for a living i use the power of story to help businesses connect with their customers marketing branding and content strategy yeah. certified story brand guide i'm another postmodern numpty yeah exactly which translation yeah which that. has kind of been what he's that's what he's done been doing all along yeah. right yeah so you know i think of a verse like you know you think of hebrews which is this whole sermon letter to persevere in the mm-hmm. in the life of faith and obedience and you think of the the command the exhortation you know, let us hold fast the confession mm-hmm. of our hope without wavering mm-hmm. for he who promises faithful in Hebrews ten twenty three, and and I think what what was he holding fast to, yeah. to begin with, yeah. um, that he what does he let go of, mm-hmm. to begin with, um, and and that's a big question right there. Yeah, I, I remember being at a a conference, and this has been close to ten years ago, and it was a national conference, and Josh was there, and so this has been ten years ago. It was before he was pastor at um, Covenant Life Church, mm-hmm. and still a pretty young guy and he was surrounded every time i saw him he was surrounded by an entourage and i remember thinking and this was far long before any of the scandals came down but i remember thinking that wouldn't be good for me if i was followed around by this entourage it can't be good for this young guy it just can't be well i made that point a couple of times that the one time i've been in front of a big crowd is when i was on that panel at t4g talking right. about celebrity right. pastors and um as somebody commented, the only thing that changed in the next T4G was that I'd gone and the celebrity pastors were still there. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but I remember, you know, I was a bit nervous when I got on this panel and I cracked a joke and, you know, yeah. X thousand people yeah. laughed. And I got a real buzz from that. Mm-hmm. I remember coming down from that stage thinking, wow, I could get used to this. Sure. So mm-hmm. it's important that I don't get used to this. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be in that sort of situation again because... That shapes how you begin to think you're something mm-hmm. when you're not in those kind of situations. Yeah. Right. And I think it's a problem. It, it is. And, and, you know, if you write a whole book on kind of fencing in how to be a good Christian, you mm-hmm. know, with these extra biblical ways that, you know, he admits now has harmed a lot of people, mm-hmm. but you are held up for these views within the church and, and you know, from the church where he pastored, um, Sovereign Grace Ministries had a lot of um, pushback with mm-hmm. their legalistic teaching in all of these areas, extra biblical teaching. And, um, you know, maybe it's even holding fast to this in Mm -hmm. my life and my um, perfect picture of how I am living this Christian life and leading in that. I mean, when I think of my theology, when I was 21, there is a a whole lot I had to let go of Mm -hmm. and and embrace, you know, true biblical teaching um, and grow in the church and, look forward to continuing to do that but to to look back and to be building on that 21 year old theology in a way that when you realize Mm -hmm. that hey this is wasn't very right as a matter of fact it was kind of harmful 
um, I need to get more educated in seminary. And then all of a sudden it all goes. Mm -hmm. So again, it's like, were you holding fast to all these extra biblical versions of Christianity? And I mean, and, and it's, and it's important to note that both he and his wife appear to have walked the same path away from Christianity. And, and, and I think it ties into just exactly what you're saying there. I mean, I, I can't help but wonder because what you have now is you have, you know, their, 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 their statement with that mood shot of both of them together about what a wonderful flourishing divorce they're going to have or whatever. Um, you know, she's going to be a, a singer, songwriter, pop star now. And he's, and he looks like he still needs to be carrying around a skateboard. Um, and, you know, and they're in their forties mm-hmm. and, and you think, okay, so they were both raised in the same kind of heavy handed shepherding type. She of, wasn't even converted until, yeah, you know, Sovereign Grace, like yep. she was out of high school and, yep. and older. And, and, and so her, her first influences as a Christian. That's it. Yeah. Were this that kind of, is Christianity. Yeah, this over the top, heavy handed mm-hmm. shepherding kind of a thing. And, and which, which he's raised in. And, you know, I just can't help but think, you know, to what extent were, were those kinds of things a contributing factor as they look back and have, you know, hold on to some bitterness and that kind of thing. They're still uh, fully responsible for every choice they make. But, um, yeah, what was the Christianity they were holding on to, as you alluded to a minute ago, Amy? Was that the wrong thing to be rooted in to begin with? And where were the mature men? Yes. The mature leaders in this as well. Yeah. Because to put a young man like that in that position, and publishers as well, they're yeah. happy. You know, there's a sense in which they're happy to exploit him. Well, I everyone I, buying it, I mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I don't know so much about the, the Hillsong mm-hmm. fellow who's, who's apostatized, but again, it seems to me. I would say Hillsong would be even, thing. knowing what we know about Hillsong, I'd say they're, they're even less careful. Right about those right. kinds of things. I mean, when when Josh Harris come, you know, when he stepped down as pastor and said that then he was going off to get his theological education, right. that was a sort of, you know, not that Martin Lloyd Jones was not mm-hmm. theologically educated. He mm-hmm. did happen to be a, a assistant to the royal physician. He was clearly a genius yes. in many ways and extremely well read yeah. and thoughtful. But uh, you know, you don't have to be theologically mm-hmm. formally trained to be a sound. God honoring pastor, mm-hmm. but I think normally yep. that's the way one would go about it. Yeah. And I was thinking of an anecdote. I think it's in Ian Murray's second volume on uh, Martin Lloyd Jones uh, when he talks about Lloyd Jones towards the end when he was no longer able to preach, mm-hmm. and a young minister sort of visiting him in his illness and and asked him if he was missing preaching. And Lloyd Jones commented something to the effect of, "You just don't get it, don't mm-hmm. you?" It was never about the preaching. That as great a preacher as Lloyd Jones was, he was not in it for the public performance or the accolades. And I really, and I've said this repeatedly and been hammered for it publicly and behind the scenes. I really do think that the the young restless and reform movement, as much good as it did, and, and good people that were involved in it, it placed too much of a premium on aesthetics and performance. Mm-hmm. And not enough on local church commitment and substance. Right. When guys are, are speaking at conference after conference after conference, and they're, they're supposed to be pastors of local churches, mm-hmm. you wonder, well, who on earth is preaching at your, you know, mm-hmm. to be flying around the country lecturing on local church commitment mm-hmm. every week right. raises questions <laughs> about one's personal local church commitment. Right. And I just wonder how many of these young guys who became superstars in that movement had really you know, 
done their time and paid their dues, if yeah. I can put it that way. Yeah. You have these deconversions or these apostasies, but then we have these other pastors kind of who came up in this movement, some mm-hmm. as well, um, who have fallen into sin mm-hmm. and now are making their comeback. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In the ministry. So, um, you kind of almost have to say it's, you hate to see somebody walking away from the faith, mm-hmm. but they're being honest. Yeah. You know, one of the interesting things about Josh Harris's announcement that he was no longer a Christian was that he makes clear that uh, since he did not hold to the biblical sexual ethics anymore about things like homosexuality and all, he wasn't going to try to be a Christian anymore. Well, mm-hmm. good. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I was thankful for that. I mean, it's kind of perverse integrity. Right, to that right, right, right. He understood uh, that, he, yeah. that, that it didn't make sense to try to cobble together a kind of Christianity that denied what the Bible clearly said about yeah. things. And so he... He chose, uh, you know, the route of, of of walking away completely, which uh, is a, a, a better option than trying to invent a new kind of Christianity. Yeah. This this other fellow, Mar- Marty Sampson, one of the things that um, you know occurred to me is is when he first announced that he he's not going to be a Christian anymore. You know, one of the things he he gave a list of various objections or problems to Christianity, you know, that, that a lot of people like to pull out and accuse. And he said, you know, the church never talks about these things. Not once in 2000 years. <laughs> yeah, I thought about exactly. the issue of science and religion. Right, for example. Exactly. Uh, you know, things yeah. that again, yeah. in, my, in my Southern Baptist upbringing, I heard about regularly. Right. I heard about yeah. regularly. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. God for that. But there's millions of Christians that hear regularly about those kinds mm-hmm. of things and yep. are given good answers for and that kind of thing. But here's the, here's the deal. I think it's highly possible, knowing again the church cultures he's in, that he may never, he may never yeah. have heard yeah. about those things. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you can go back as far as Christianity and science, or let's say Christianity and secular knowledge. Right. Yeah, you, know, you can go back to the Greek apologist of the second century mm-hmm. and trace a continual line of Christians who have seriously tried to engage with the philosophy, right. the science yeah. of their day, and make Christianity plausible, coherent, mm-hmm. compelling within that context. Exactly, and and uh, it, and it just. When I read his statement, I thought, you know, knowing that he's a Hillsong guy, it is very par- probable that he's never heard any thoughtful engagement mm-hmm. with, with some of these issues. And it, it was just a reminder of how important it is for the church mm-hmm. to, to help our young ones think critically and biblically. Yeah. And a reminder, you know, that don't listen to young Stupid people, right? Talking about, I mean, I, I'm not going to get a Miley Cyrus for my understanding of economics <laughs> by and large. So why would I go to some 20 year old Australian? Yeah, you know, good day, uh, mate. For his, for a detailed understanding of the relationship between faith and science, uh, <laughs> it's right. it's bizarre. Yeah, um, yeah. But, again, but, but connects to the youth culture of which the, the, the youth culture has now become a big part. Yep. Of course, we bought into right. that. the youth culture, and again, celebrity. Yeah, you, you yeah. go to the guy with the most Twitter followers or whatever. Yeah. Or the inf- I mean, I thought. Well, yeah, it's like social media savvy yeah. is uh-huh. definitely uh-huh. you know, and like I was you know just reading in the profile using the power of story in marketing and branding. Right. I mean, you see mm-hmm. so much branding within the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I think even the tribalism is coming out of that as well, because we have all we have these hashtags and this language that one side wants to use and the language mm-hmm. and everything is a brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And here's our representatives. That's yeah. what. So, you know, uh, again, don't take this as a pro Eastern Orthodox comment. OK, I won't. But my, my general observation of Eastern Orthodox people is they're not into this stuff mm-hmm. by and large. Mm-hmm. They have this ancient tradition, and that's enough for them. Lutherans uh, aren't much either. No. Uh, it, it seems to be 
Southern Baptists and Presbyterians mm-hmm. who secretly long to be Southern Baptists, <laughs> or yeah, <laughs> who are into it, and I, you know, and I think that's a problem uh-huh. in our world. Yes. and that's not to say us and then I'm part of the Presbyterian no, no, no. world, I, I, uh, and I think mm-hmm. it, we really do need to try to recover our historic roots mm-hmm. right. and be satisfied with them. Well, and mm-hmm. I think we've even yeah. seen, let's say, with the Trinity debate and things like that, you know, good reformed churches just relying on the brand. Mm-hmm. of different parachurch organizations mm-hmm. and authors mm-hmm. for resources to teach in their church and not given much oversight over mm-hmm. it. Right. Yeah. And, and here, so we see it in our own churches. And the doctrine of God's stuff is an interesting example as well because the people have made all the running in that, by and large, are the Reformed Baptists. Yes. And they don't care about youth culture either. No, they don't. If you're out there and you're a Reformed Baptist, we're saying really nice things about you. So please don't. <laughs> Email and tell me I haven't been nice enough. <laughs> That's right. Uh, That's right. But no, the, the Reformed Baptists who are, you know, would sort of think of themselves as a despised tribe. Right. Mm. And in some ways that, that can be a, it can be a bad thing to think of yourself. I see some of that in the OPC where you, mm-hmm. you can take a pride in your smallness, mm-hmm. but it also means you don't care less mm-hmm. about what the wider mm-hmm. culture thinks of you and it frees you up. Yeah. You know, if you're trying to hold together some massive confederation, uh, you're going to be selling out all kinds of things to right. try to keep that confederation rolling. Right. If you don't care for numbers, if you don't care for being trendy and popular, I or think having are, all this influence, or having all this influence, I think you are free to be faithful. Yeah, yeah. And you know, one of the things that we we have to say in connection with this whole discussion is just again the the terrible reality of apostasy. That uh, as we're warned in the Book of Hebrews, it is very possible to taste of the heavenly gift, uh, to use the, the language of the writer, um, to experience firsthand the blessings of the visible church, the blessings of hearing the gospel, the blessings of, of being exposed to the sacraments of the church, of Christian fellowship, um, and for a time, uh, possessing a, a kind of belief to, to come to a point in your life where you walk away from that. The writer of the book of Hebrews warns us of that very strong reality very strong and frightening warnings Mm -hmm. jesus warned about it um you know on that day those to my left are going to say you know lord lord one of the things that's so frightening about what jesus says to those he's going to cast away from his presence is is they don't say lord lord you know we attended church sometime these people possess the language of faithful christians we did these things for you we prophesied we we did all of these uh, marvelous things for you, and yet he does not know them. And um, and when we think about men like Josh Harris, about women like like Josh's wife, like this man from Hillsong, we we would be um, remiss if we did not also um, pay attention to our own hearts to to ask the Lord um, to keep a watch over our own heart, lest we fall um, as well. And um, the, the, the sin of apostasy is, is real. We see it visibly because of some of these visible people. But how, how much more does this happen in small ways? Mm-hmm. Um, we were having a discussion in, in our church staff meeting recently uh, just about uh, the, the number of, of kids we see in our, you know, in our church ministry in first and second grade and how some of them are no longer there by the time they're in ninth or 10th grade, Mm -hmm. you know, they become empty seats. Where have they gone? You know, what has happened? Mm -hmm. Um, That they, that they went from being some of them baptized as children of the covenant. Some of them baptized as, as believing uh, young people um, only to at one point 
for, for them to leave. And uh, it's a reality that the church faces, and it's one that is that is grievous to our hearts. It's funny, I was thinking earlier as well, thinking about that, uh, Michael Horton, mm-hmm. again, friend of this mm-hmm. podcast, being on the podcast, good personal friend. Yeah, Michael Horton was a guy who hit the big time yes. at a very young age. Yeah. I think he was at high school when mm-hmm. he was writing his first, <laughs> his first book. And yet Michael Horton has continued to be mm-hmm. uh, an outstanding, articulate defender and advocate of orthodoxy. Yes. Yeah, he's a little bit older than me. I guess Mike's mid fifties mm-hmm. now. Uh, the diff- you know, wh- wherein lies the difference? And mm-hmm. I think the, the difference lies in the fact that Michael Horton was probably mentored by mature people right. in the faith. He was not exploited, mm-hmm. and he never lost sight of being grounded in the local church. Mm-hmm. Those are where I think the discriminations would yeah. lie. So, you know, it can be done. Yes, it can. It can be done. But, you know, Michael was blessed to be surrounded with godly wise men mm-hmm. who uh, kept him on the straight and narrow. Right. And now he's uh, an outstanding example of what a uh, an elder statesman should yeah. look like. Faithful the plodding. World. Faith, yeah. Faithful plodding. Uh, I don't like to think of, uh, he's, you know, thinking of Michael as a plodder. You know, he's, he's pretty sharp. Just but, redundant uh, faithfulness, I know, though. I know what you mean. Yeah. He's been faithful, and he's not sought the the kind of uh, stadium-filling right. success right. that a lot of others have. He was here yesterday. He'll uh, probably be here tomorrow. Yeah. 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 You know, and that, yeah. and that's that, that ought to be what, what we each pray yeah. for. I always remember early in the, the Young Restless and Reform thing, it's one of the, the leaders for whom I have great respect and affection saying to me about the celebrity side, you, you need to realize that we're leveraging, we're trying to leverage celebrity for good. Yeah. And I was thinking, man, you're playing with yeah. fire. Yeah, yeah. So, and, that's bo- yeah. and that's proven to be true. The ring of power, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have enough... Yeah. We have enough heartache in our own local churches, you know, when we yeah. see people we love yep. walk away from the yeah. faith yeah. sometimes. But when it's somebody with such a, a following as yeah. that um, who became so popular and you think of, okay, well, his whole church is affected, you know, yeah. all the people he has yeah. pastored and and then all the people following him as well. And, and I think that's also um, caution for us to, you know, really be looking within our own local church leadership yep. for discipleship, yep. you know, like we were saying before, ordinary means of grace is where, yeah, you know, that's where we look to get this special presence from the Lord and where discipleship begins is in these ordinary means of grace. And then it overflows from that. And if we don't have the priority of discipleship there and then, you know, in our own local churches um, and we don't uphold our own leaders and uh, have them investing in brothers and sisters in Christ to then invest in one another um, and have that overflowing in our own churches. You know, we shouldn't, I hear this all the time. Well, I consider such and such my pastor, mm-hmm. even though that mm-hmm. it's a celebrity pastor who they've never met before. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no matter how good they are, they're not your pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not yeah. the person that is, accountable for your soul for shepherding your soul and um they don't even know who you are Mm -hmm. i'll get emails from people i don't know and who i have no physical connection to asking if i would disciple them yes i've gotten this i I don't even know what that Mm -hmm. means really outside of the context of a local church if a guy comes up in my church and says hey can can i meet with you once a week for coffee to talk about my christian life fine Mm -hmm. but but somebody that I don't know mm-hmm. and isn't part of my church. It's 
and I'm not belittling those requests at all. I'm just saying from my perspective, that's an odd request because mm-hmm. I don't quite know what that would look like. Right. Mm-hmm. And again, the reason they're calling you is because they think, you know, that's a name I recognize. This guy is a known scholar. I can't help but believe that part of what might draw them is they'd be able to say, well, you know, I, I get together with Carl Truman, uh, you know, once every so often. You know, you've heard of him. He writes books, you know. My wife's always telling people that. <laughs> I, get, I get together with Carl Truman. Every <laughs> In other words, you know, you have to wonder, did, did, did that person contact somebody who's written no books yeah. and, mm-hmm. you know, is, is not well known at all, you know, uh, but, but it's so much yeah. a part of Are you of, being of shaped more mm-hmm. by the yeah. celebrity uh-huh. culture in the church? Uh-huh. Yeah. And even like some of their publications that, you know, are, have been ha- helpful in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Or are you being shaped more by discipleship in the local church? Right. Carl is really trying hard to catch this fly that's I been just going around. That. I knew it was a long shot and I didn't want to upset the mic. Now he's coming back you to the You tap into me. your inner Jean-Claude Van Damme <laughs> so, skills or karate so, kick. Somebody wrapping this up? Uh, one of you two are. I opened it. Didn't the I? last time I wrapped up, Todd cut me off a million times. Okay, well, let me, as I have the voice of authority. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening to Mortification of Spin this week. If you'd like to go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, uh, you will notice that we are a listener-supported podcast. So if you would like to make a donation, please do so. Uh, and you can also enter for a chance to win copies of Michael Horton's Ordinary, which is an excellent book on the ordinary discipleship and growth of the ordinary Christian. Uh, In the meantime, all that remains is for me to thank you for your support thus far. Thank you for listening today, and we look forward to being with you next week. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... I came across a, um, a line from Augustine, you know, a, a rhetorical question where Augustine asks, who has the art and the power to make himself? And I think our culture, uh, pop culture anyway, has foolishly answered, we do. That interview is next time. Join us then. That's how it should be done. Amy. That up. was a true professional. He got up still. Turned his back that to you. That was a true professional. <laughs> One take and it's in the can.